Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. Okay, have a a kind of a different take on something here today. I hope it blesses you. Romans chapter 8. For some of you, this is one of your favorite scriptures, and it's such an anointed, powerful scripture that speaks to me in so ma- on so many levels and all too frequently. Romans 8.28 says what? Now we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Somebody say amen. Wow, that's a good thing, y'all. That's, that is something that is a relief and is a... Whew, and, and a Baruch Hashem, praise God, I'm so happy about that. Now, we know that that is a very powerful scripture to many of us, including me, and I rely on that scripture regularly, especially when things don't seem to be making sense, and I just have to trust in God that all things work together for good. Uh, and so, Lord, thank you, even when things I don't understand, which happens all too often, yes, even for the rabbi, what the rabbi doesn't, yes, even for the rabbi, things don't always go the way that he thinks they should, uh, but his ways are higher than our ways, the musicians sang about that a little bit earlier. Okay, that said, the scripture is conditional, though. The scripture is conditional. It's just not a simple all things work together for good. No, it's conditional. They work together for good if you love the Lord and you are called according to his purpose. You see, that's an important caveat there. That's an important uh, predicate, if you will. This is oftentimes a condition that is not met. It is frequent that that people don't love God and, and people are not working according to his purposes, which is another way of saying his will. They're really not doing that. And so, uh, and so the expectation of all things working together for good. Now, now that, that sometimes the good doesn't look like what we think it would look like. Uh, and it's maybe not what I would pick. But the point is, is that he knows much more than I do. He has the whole plan. He sees the big picture. I see a tiny, tiny little sliver of it. And so he knows much better than me. Okay, so, but how is this condition met? How is this condition met where, yes, we love God and we are called according to his purpose? What are, is, are one of the ways, Jack, that we can better be likely to be called according to his purpose? See, this, this is part of, of, of understanding a little bit and growing deeper in the ways of God is, is, to, is to understand how we can better be called 
according to his purpose. In other words, how we can better do what he would do, do what he would want for us to do. That's called according to his purpose, right? And, and if we do that on a more consistent basis, things are going to go well. Again, not always exactly the way that we think that we should go, but they are going to go well by God's standards, which is the most important by any uh, way you look at it. Okay, one of the ways that we can, can better understand and can better uh, fulfill God's purposes in our lives is the very next verse. So he kind of he goes into it and says, who love God and are called according to his purpose. The very next verse helps us understand a little bit about how we can do that. Verse 29 says this, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Friends, the more we are conformed to the image of of the Son of God, as it says here, this is Messiah Yeshua, the more we will be called according to his purpose. Okay, that makes sense, doesn't it? Remember, verse 28 says, hey, things are going to work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Well, how are you better likely to be called according to his purpose? By being more conformed to the image of the Son of God. By being more Yeshua-like, it's more likely the more we become like Messiah, the more we're never going to obviously arrive to that. But that should be what our goal is, is, is to become more conformed to the image of Yeshua. The more we become more Yeshua-like, the more we're going to be called according to God's purposes. Somebody tell me that makes sense, amen? Okay, good. You're with me on that. No question. And uh, okay, so then the next question then is, if we are to be uh, more conformed to the image of Yeshua in our lives, so if we're to become more like the image of Yeshua, what is the image of Yeshua? Well, what are his attributes that we should be aspiring to? What, what, you know, and there are so many, friends. There, there, there's no question about that. But, but if we need to be more conformed to his image, it only makes sense to better understand what his image is so that we can better understand what we need to be more conformed to growing into becoming Messiah-like, if you will. Now, listen, there are truly many, many answers to this question. I mean, the attributes uh, and, and that which is the image of Yeshua is so multifaceted. I, I could do a series for the next five years answering this question, no doubt. But I want to focus today on two attributes of Yeshua, two attributes of the Messiah. Now, there are many more, many more, but I'll tell you forthrightly that this message is in part inspired by a powerful song that describes two of Yeshua's attributes. And this song has really ministered to me very much over the last few years. Anytime we do this song, we do the song periodically, and anytime we do the song, man, I'm just, I'm struck by it. I'm, 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 almost baffled by it. I'm, I'm inspired by it, but, but I'm, I'm bewildered by it at the same time as I think about these two particular attributes of Yeshua that are described explicitly in the scripture. 
And, uh, and, and at one point, as, as we were doing the song a number of months ago, uh, the Lord quickened me to make this into a message and to really dig deep and to explore these attributes even more. Okay, these are two distinct character attributes of Yeshua. And the interesting thing about these two attributes of Messiah is they seem contradictory. In fact, they seem opposite. Two attributes of Messiah that seem opposite, that both describe Messiah. See, this is why I, I was a little bit uh, flummoxed, because I didn't completely understand, or I didn't see it. It's, it's, it's a little bit of dissonance as you think about these two attributes, because in so many ways they're opposite, yet both are used to describe Messiah, and they are not contradictory if we understand them a little bit better. So we should understand these two descriptions of Yeshua, both to be inspired by them as we think about Messiah, but also to emulate them because we're supposed to be, remember, we're supposed to be more conformed to the image of his son, as the scripture says. Okay, Genesis chapter 49, please. Genesis Bereshit, uh, chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49 in the Torah, in the Torah. I got to tell you, I love the Chagall windows in Jerusalem. Oh my gosh, they are absolutely beautiful. Some of you have been with me to Jerusalem. George has been with me to Jerusalem. Others have been with me. And, and remember when we went to the Chagall windows, maybe about four or five weeks ago, uh, six weeks ago, it was just amazing. The Chagall windows are so beautiful. These are 12 stained glass windows. I'm not going to say much like what we have here because... You know, I love our windows, don't get me wrong, but wow, this is like one of the greatest uh, artists of all time. 12 stained glass windows by Marc Chagall, absolutely amazing. Each window represents one of the 12 tribes, like our windows do. They, they, they represent each of the 12 tribes, uh, but each window has visual elements that represent each of the tribes. And, and that's taken right from scripture because Yaakov, Jacob, you know, we say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob then had the 12 tribes, okay? And Jacob, uh, while blessing his children, we read this right in, in Scripture, Genesis 49, gives descriptions, and Jacob sometimes gives prophetic words over each of his children. It's real crystal clear. Read through it yourself. It's real crystal, crystal clear. So he, he clearly prophesies about the Messiah to come, when he speaks over his son, Judah, Yehuda. Okay, so when, when, when he's speaking about Judah, his son Judah, which is the fourth son, uh, he, he is proclaiming a blessing over him, but it's clearly prophetic, speaking about the Messiah to come also. And I think that you can see it real clearly as well. Uh, Genesis chapter 49, we'll go to verse 9 where it says a lion's cub or a, or a young lion is Judah. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouches, lies down like a lion or a lioness. Who would rouse him? The scepter will not pass from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs will come. To him will be the obedience of the peoples. 
Wow, that's intense, man. That's an intense word over your over your son Judah. You know, you you read the rest of them, and 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 many of them are interesting. Some more so than others, and some have more depth. And but man, Judah's just stands out like it's in neon or something. From this, we see that the Messiah will come from Judah as the scepter and the ruler's staff, it says, will be with him. And it says, to him, we will all one day obey. Okay, this is Moshiach. This is Messiah. This is the tribe of Judah, which if you're looking here in the congregation, is the fourth window right there. That's the lion. Why? Because he's described as a lion. Okay, a, a lion, if you will. This is the way Jacob describes his son Judah is as a young lion, a lion. That's why you hear referred to as the lion of Judah and why Judah is always represented by a lion. If you will, you see it on the official seal of the, of the city of Jerusalem is a lion. You see it here at Bethel. You see it all over here at Bethel. We've got, we've got it on the uh, as you walk in, there are, these, the, there are these lions. If you go to our community center uh, on the gym floor, there's a, a giant lion. There's, I think, a lion right in front of me right here. Okay, what is this all? This is all symbolic of the fourth tribe, the lion, from which Messiah will come, who is the lion of Judah. The lion of Judah represents Messiah. Okay, now let's go all the way from the beginning to the end. Revelation chapter 5, please. Revelation chapter 5. Ooh, he's going into Revelation. Yes. Okay, Revelation chapter 5 is, of course, the vision of Yohanan, John, disciple of Messiah Yeshua, as he is receiving the vision from God of the end days and what all will happen in a time that is still today yet to come. We know, but, but we see so many things that are happening that, that just absolutely go along with, with John's vision in the book of Revelation. Things come together, including a lot of stuff in modern-day Israel. Okay, Revelation chapter 5, though, begins speaking of the scroll that is unsealed in the end of days. Okay, there's a scroll. This is a all, uh, it's a vision of the throne room of God, and, and there's a scroll that, is, uh, that needs to be unsealed, and, and it's sealed with, with the seven seals there. And, and in John's vision of what is to come, he saw something very powerful as the end was nearing and as the time was coming. Why? Because uh, even though the end of days and what would be unfurled in the scroll, but John articulates, and we'll read about it in John chapter 5, that no one was worthy to open the scroll. No one was found worthy to open the scroll, to, uh, to unseal the scroll, if you will. This is a vision of the throne room of God. It's a prophetic vision, very interesting, a lot of deep, a lot of uh, symbolism, if you will. Okay, let's read in verse 1. It's interesting what John sees and says. And wow, this ties into what we just read in Genesis in the Torah. And I saw, verse 1, and I saw in the right hand of the one seated upon the throne a scroll, this is our, our heavenly Father, written on both the front and the back, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? 
No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Wow. I began to weep loudly because no one else was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders tells me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has triumphed. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Wow, boy, that's intense, isn't it? Yeshua, and, and the next chapters talk about it, talk about the unsealing and, and, what, and what the seals represent. Yeshua, it says, the root of David, the descendant of Melech David, of King David, of King David, as was prophesied, we know that the descendant of David would sit on the eternal throne of David and reign forevermore. That would be Moshiach. That would be Messiah. This is something that, that even within traditional Judaism is all seen and agreed with, if you will. And so we see here that Yeshua described as the root of David here. It's an understanding of the whole Jewish context of Messiah, even in concept, Yeshua, the roots of David, is worthy to open the scroll and its seals, and he is described here as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And in this, we are seeing a direct fulfillment of many prophecies of the Messiah. But again, portrayed as a triumphant victor, right? Only he can do it. Portrayed as a triumphant victor, Yeshua is the lion of Judah. Now, without question, Yeshua is a lion. Wow, a lion, a roaring lion. Now, we must, we must stop for a minute and take a look at the attributes of a lion to understand more about Yeshua. Because remember, we should be daily more conforming to the image of his son, okay? So we should be daily more conforming to Yeshua's image, which in part is described as a lion, right? Exactly, the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's a prominent part of that image. Isaiah chapter 31, please. Isaiah 31. Okay, a lion of the lion of the tribe of Judah is described in the Torah uh, with Jacob's fourth son, the, uh, the son Judah, through which the Messiah will come. It's so clear. Okay, a lion is known as what? He's known as the king of the jungle, right? The lion, the king of the jungle. Everybody's heard that. Why? Because let me tell you something. Lions know how to fight. Lions know how to fight. Isaiah chapter 31 describes how God will fight for Israel. It's interesting. Listen to how God describes how he himself will fight for Israel. Isaiah chapter, Yeshayahu chapter 31, please, from the Tanakh, verse 4. It says this, For thus says Adonai to me, as a lion or a young lion growls over its prey, though a company of shepherds is called out against him, their voice does not disturb him, nor does their noise upset him, so Adonai Tzavaot, the Lord of hosts, will come down to fight on Mount Zion on its hill. Woo, boy, that's intense. 
Mamma mia, did you catch that? Did you catch what the scriptures say about God himself and, and what he will do and what symbolizes what he uses to illustrate how tenacious he's going to fight for Israel? How he describes himself in this context and how tenacious he'll, he'll, he will fight for Israel and how he will defend Israel is through a lion. A lion is tenacious in battle. No question, a lion is powerful. I mean, when God describes himself as a young lion who's coming to fight for Israel, that gives you a little context of, uh, of the power of a lion as, as a fighter, for sure. A couple points. First, friends, when you call on the name of the Lord, beloved, there is great power. When you're calling on his name, some people don't even recognize what they have. Uh, it reminds me of, uh, of Indiana Jones. Okay, I know the new Indiana Jones is coming out soon. I'm really hoping it's gonna be great. Some have been great, some, eh. Okay, and so, but you remember Raiders of the Lost Ark. I love that movie. Uh, and they found the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, if, you, if you didn't see the movie, first of all, where have you been? No, okay, no, uh, you need to see the movie. Okay, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay, but anyway, they found the Ark. I'm going to give away a little bit here. They, they found the Ark of the Covenant, and eventually, uh, even in spite of Indiana Jones's best efforts, uh, it ends up in a storage warehouse, uh, and I won't tell you much more than that, but one of the things that Indy says in the movie is, Marion, they don't know what they got there. They don't know what they have there, right? Because of the immense power that is the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, you read about that in the Bible, right? And the movie showed it pretty well too. Okay. They don't know what they got there. And, and you know, it's like you watch the movie and it's in storage and you think, wow, boy, they really don't know what they got there. I mean, that, that is of such a measurable power and they just got it in storage. We don't know what we got here. When you call on the name of the Lord, you're calling to the lion who can come down and fight with immense power, power, immeasurable power. This, this, is, this is a lion who roars and will fight for you. This should encourage you. This should uplift you. This should give you confidence. This should give you encouragement. Friends, we have an opportunity to have a personal relationship with our creator. It's not just way, way, way out there. He's only a breath away from you. If you seek him, this is what we need to be doing, my friends. You have available to you the greatest fighter there ever was. That's what you have available to you. You have the king whose roar alone can be enough. I, re I remember when my family was in, uh, we were on a, a trip with the International Messianic Jewish Alliance in Berlin, Germany a number of years ago. This is probably, I don't know, 12 years ago. I had a big meeting out there, and, and so my kids were relatively young, and we went to the Berlin Zoo, and, uh, and it, was a, it was a great time. My kids were little, and I'd obviously never been to the Berlin Zoo before, but you go to the zoo when you have little kids, right? It's, uh, zoos are fun, and so we were there in the Berlin Zoo, and I've been to plenty of zoos before, but this particular zoo, they had, a, uh, the, they had lions there, and they had indoor, a place where the lions could go indoor. I don't know, for whatever they wanted to, and then they had their own door. They could go outdoor and roam all around. It was their choice, whatever. Okay, and so we happened to be in the inside area where the 
lion exhibit were, and the lions happened to be inside at that moment. And we were walking around, and we were, not, we were pretty close. We could see the lions. We were just a little bit down from them. And then suddenly, one of the lions starts roaring. And when I say roaring, I mean full-throated roar. And, and I, I promise you, I mean, I, I, it, was, it was frightening. <laughs> it, it, it's so echoed, and because we were inside, it's so echoed. It was so loud. It was so powerful. It was so strong. It was, it was so intimidating. It was, it was and, and, the, and the lion kept roaring. I mean, it was just roaring, full throat roar. And, uh, and it was like, what was interesting is that you had a whole bunch of people in the zoo just kind of walking around. And when that lion started roaring, I, I'm telling you, I remember this. Every person that was in the zoo just stopped. Every person just stopped. And everybody shut up because, quite honestly, you couldn't have even been heard. It was so loud as it reverberated inside there, just this powerful roar. And, and I, I thought to myself, I've never heard anything like this in my life. I've never experienced anything like this in my life. I've been, I've been to zoos with lions, but I'd never heard this, and especially with it resonating indoors like this. Friends, this is part of the attributes of Messiah. Whatever it is that you are battling, know that you have a lion who you can depend on. He can defend you. There is none more powerful. Amen? This is important. This is beautiful. But secondly, remember, we have to be more conformed to the image of his son. You have to fight like a lion too. You have to fight like a lion too, my friends. What? We never really think about it in that context. We only think of Messiah as the lion, and he is the lion of Judah for sure. But, but also, if we have to be more conformed to the image of his son, there's something about this that we need to take on within ourselves. What is this? We have to have a strength within us when it comes to battling addiction, when it comes to battling temptation, when it comes to battling sin. You have to fight like a lion. You can't give up, my friends. You can't be afraid of the adversary. Hasatan. Is, the, is a lion afraid? Goodness, no. Man, that roar was so awesome. I'll never forget it. As long as I live, a lion is not afraid. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Power. Power, that's a lion, right? Power, love, and of a sound mind. Uh, and as you are more conformed to the image of Messiah Yeshua, you'll become more lion-like in your strength, in your endurance, in your battling skills against the adversary of your soul. Sometimes, beloved, you just have to be tenacious, tenacious, there's a reason why they describe some, some people as having the heart of a lion, right? This is more what we need to be like. 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5. Maybe, George, you can make it one degree warmer, one degree warmer. Uh, well, I got an amen on that. That's funny. I, I was talking all about the scripture. You didn't amen me very much. I say a degree warmer. Amen, brother. Okay. <laughs> I'm telling you. 
Oh, it's great. Hey, listen, I'll take what I can get. First Peter chapter five. <laughs> now, this is one of the reasons why we need to be careful here. And it's so interesting. And this scripture makes so much more sense if you understand it in the context of what we've been talking about. First Peter 5, 8 says, stay alert, watch out. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion searching for someone to devour. Oh, you know, if you understand everything we've talked about, this scripture suddenly makes so much more sense. You see here what's going on. The passage should just come to light even more than ever before. And now, it's no coincidence that Peter, Peter describes the adversary in this way. Why? Because the devil, the adversary, Hasatan, the adversary of our souls, is essentially trying to be God. He's trying to be God. He's portraying himself as God. What happens when Hasatan tempts Yeshua, right, in the desert? He offers him the riches of this world if Yeshua would simply bow before him. The devil was looking to be the lion. He was looking to be the one who is victorious. But, but friends, your adversary, the devil, prowls like a lion, the scripture says, like one. He is not a lion. He is not a lion. But in looking at the world today, it seems as though many people have proclaimed him as their lion. Beware of imposters. There are a lot of imposters out there, my friend. All that glitters is not gold. The world has much to say that tickles the ears of men and women. This is why we have to stay alert and watch out. Watch out for that which would portray itself as the lion, but is not. You understand, trying to, trying to take away that which belongs to the inheritor of the fourth tribe, Judah, trying to take over essentially the Messiahship and trying to be the ruler and the victor. Mm. Similarly, my friends, when we're growing the lion-like part of us, we have to be careful not to be this fake lion even within our own lives because a godly lion, albeit strong and, and able to roar, is never cruel or mean. He or she is not prideful or greedy. A godly lion does not hurt others for sport. In fact, a lion protects. And in this way, a godly lion, <laughs> this is interesting, as a protector, a godly lion shares this attribute with a very different animal. Revelation chapter five. Let's go back to Revelation chapter five. Huh. Very interesting. Earlier we read from Revelation chapter five. Remember we read the first, I don't know, five verses or whatever, where it talked about the seals being 
who, who is worthy to undo the seals, and it's only Yeshua, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? It's great fanfare is made about the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the lion. He's the lion. It's Yeshua. He can open the seals. The lion can do it. Yeshua can do it. But in John's vision of the end days, only a few verses later, the lion of the tribe of Judah is revealed. The lion of the tribe of Judah comes forward. This lion that is the only one with the strength to unseal the scroll comes forward. But the lion looks very different than you might expect. Why, my friends? Because the lion is also a lamb. The lion is also a lamb. Revelation 5, verse 8. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the holy ones, the Kiddushim. And they are singing a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you redeemed for God those from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Skipping to verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. Their number was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. They were chanting with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Amen. We see here, my friends, wow, this is so interesting. And, and is, is uh, Yeshua is also the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb was slain and his blood redeemed people from every nation. His sacrifice fulfilled the requirement for a blood atonement that's found all the way back in the Torah, Leviticus chapter 17. Leviticus 17 says only with a blood sacrifice, only with blood is there atonement for sin. It says it explicitly. It was the whole point of the sacrificial system of the temple. It was the whole point. There is no temple. Where is the blood that covers the Lamb of God that was slain for the sins of the world. And he is glorified indeed. And beloved, never think of the Lamb of God as being a doormat. <laughs> That's not it. We read later, you don't need to turn to it, but Revelation chapter 17 reveals the Lamb of God and he's explicitly described in Revelation 17 as the Lamb of God defeating the enemy in battle. It's just kind of an interesting visual, isn't it? I mean, you know, you, you don't typically think of eh, this little lamb, you know, fighting battle, but that's exactly what we're seeing here. Why? Because the lamb is the lion. 
the lion is the lamb. They are one and the same. They're both Messiah Yeshua. So him being a lamb is not weakness. It's great strength. Why? Because this lamb is choosing willingly to sacrifice himself, knowing that it will restore us to full relationship with him because that is required by the Torah to cover our sins. So this lamb is not some weakling. No, no, no. This lamb is intentionally placing himself on the altar as a sacrifice, taking our place. Isaiah 53, please. Isaiah 53 as we prepare to conclude the introduction. That's just, I'm just kidding. It's an old joke. (laughs) The Jewish prophet Isaiah said in the Tanakh words that prophesied about the Messiah who would come. I'm talking about Isaiah. Go to every traditional synagogue in the world, pull out the Tanakh, read it yourself. It could not be more clear. Isaiah chapter 53 talks, the whole chapter is about the Messiah who is to come. It's it's a prophecy as to the Messiah. And sometimes I've read the whole chapter of Isaiah 53 before to my Jewish brothers and sisters, and they say, yeah, of course, that's, that's talking about Yeshua, but that you're reading from the new, the new covenant. And I say, no, 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 this is, this is Isaiah 53. It's in every synagogue. Verse 5 says this. We'll read part of it today as it relates to what we're talking about. It says, but he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. The chastisement for our shalom or peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way. So Adonai has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep. Before its shears is silence, so he did not open his mouth. Friends, this Lamb of God prophesied crystal clearly in Isaiah 53, allowed himself to be sacrificed for us. Our iniquity was laid on him, as Isaiah said. He was a sacrificial lamb. He is our unblemished Passover lamb, right? The Passover lamb was slain. Its blood was put on the doorpost. Why? So that we would be saved. The angel of death would pass over us. We read it every Passover, right? But the the Passover lamb had to be unblemished and the blood shed and, and the sacrifice, that lamb was innocent. Similarly, so was Messiah. His blood was shed, shed the Lamb of God. When I think of the selflessness of the Lamb, the one who gave himself for us, when I think of the sacrifice that Yeshua made for me, I'm overwhelmed by it. Why? It doesn't make sense to me. Why would he do this for us? to offer his life and make a sacrifice that took my punishment on him. Took my punishment on him. 
what could cause someone to do this? Only love beyond what I can imagine. Only love beyond what I can imagine. Friends, as we, as we conform more to the image of Yeshua, wow, you see how this all comes around? As we conform more to the image of Yeshua, we also should become more like the Lamb. Willing and ambitious to be sacrificial for others. Not self-centered. In fact, selfless. Compassionate for other people. The, the core attribute of the lamb is that it is sacrificed for us in love. In love. We should all be so loving. We should all be so loving that when people look at us, they should see a lamb. And in seeing the lamb in us, they are drawn to the lamb that we are emulating. It's unbelievable to me how one so powerful as a lion is also willing to be a lamb. But the truth is that, and this is when it all came together for me as I was contemplating this and trying to have some understanding of the depth of this, is that both protect out of love. Both protect out of love. The lion defends us, fights for us, but in making an atonement for us, the lamb also protects us from the adversary. Right? It's like, it's like he's a lion. Listen to this. It's like he's a lion who battles evil and protects us. But when the arrow is aimed at us as a lamb, he jumps in front of us, pushing us out of the way to sacrificially take the bullet that was otherwise destined for us. Wow. Similarly, in our own lives, we should seek to be strong as a lion when it comes to fighting evil and protecting the innocent. But we should also seek to be humble and self-sacrificial like a lamb looking out for others above ourselves. In this way, we better conform to the image of Yeshua. The title of my message is Lion and the Lamb. Let's bow our heads. I want to ask if there's anybody here today who has never said a prayer to receive Yeshua as your Messiah, but you would like to, if that's you and you've never committed your life to God, never said yes to Messiah, 
but you'd like to today, lift your hand and we'll pray if that's you. If, if you're feeling a stirring inside of you and you know this resonates is true, lift your hand and we'll pray and you're going to receive Messiah Yeshua as your Messiah. And then that blood which was shed by Messiah covers your sins as the Torah requires. Is there anyone who's never done so but wants to today? Yes, wonderful. Young, yes, I see those hands. Yes, I see both those hands. Yes. God bless you. It's going to be the best decision you've ever made. Anybody else who's never said that prayer but would like to today to receive Messiah as your Lord, as the one who will cover your sins, nothing could be better. Wow, what a special day. Let's all stand up. And what I'm going to ask is this. You only have to say the prayer one time, but I want to ask everybody to, to say this prayer with me just to, to be in support of those who are saying it for the first time. And in doing so, you're saying, yes, I'm ready to make that commitment to follow Messiah. So we'll all say this. And if you raise your hand, or maybe you couldn't get your hand up, but if you want to say this prayer then just repeat this simple prayer after me and God will change you on the inside. Say, dear God, I humble myself before you. I accept Yeshua as my Messiah. I believe he's risen again, sitting at your right hand. Please forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry. I'll live the rest of my days for you. Thank you, God, in Yeshua's name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah or how you can become part of our Bethlehem family, please visit our website at www.bethhalel.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L.org. Or call... 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and Shalom. Lie, 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 lie.